You are listening to Rare Voices, the show that reveals the wisest path to a fulfilled life for patients with rare and orphan disorders. Brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. I'm your host, Donovan Quill. This year has shaken so many of us to our core, and your host is about to get really honest. I was one of those people. I remember about a year ago, sending everyone home from our offices at OptimiCare. Everything felt uncertain. When could we bring people back? What about our patients? They count on us daily. How will COVID impact them? Not just their health, but their access to other caregivers. I, like almost everyone, felt the world had turned. I went back to my office, and in the dark, lonely stillness, I fired up my computer. On my LinkedIn feed, there was a familiar face. One of my most respected friends had posted a video called A Concerned Doctor. I hit play, and in the midst of chaos, I felt like I had found a confidant and ally. Here was a guy on the front lines, caring for patients, and doing the most important work a physician can do, adding a voice of reason to an otherwise turbulent time. Over the past year, I have kept my friend, Dr. Jeffrey Miskoff, pulmonologist and critical care physician, as a constant presence. A good portion of his patients also have rare conditions, and that is why I wanted to offer his voice to you today. His story over the past year is incredible. It involves loss, heartache, hope, and victories. It has something for you no matter where you are in the spectrum of patient care. And with all of our episodes this season, it has an outlook for where healthcare is going next. So when I look at this, Dr. Miskoff, welcome to the show, first of all. And Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. And I want to start off just looking at this last year. It's a whirlwind, right? And and I think we're all celebrating, probably not celebrating, but the de- but dealing with an anniversary that that none of us really want to deal with. And the anniversary is really when the world shut down. And when the world shut down for most people, it actually sped up for you. Dr. Miskoff has uh, spent most of 2020 saving lives and really taking care of patients who, as a critical care physician, who've been hospitalized and, and who, have, who have unfortunately seen the ups and downs of, of, of COVID throughout time. So Dr. Miskoff, looking at this and looking at you know, kind of this, this anniversary that we're all part of right now. What, what, what first started with you and, you know, look, talk about your first experience with COVID and talk about your first experience with some of these patients. Yeah. I mean, probably my first, thanks Donovan. And again, thanks for having me on the the podcast. Um, but yeah, thinking back to March and, and probably even a little bit before that, I was probably seeing COVID patients in the office and didn't even know it. And, you know, I think back at some of those those cases that we just couldn't figure out. And there's only a couple of them. But but, you know, a few did stand out from the outpatient setting. And then, you know, going back to the hospital, because I do both. I do outpatient and inpatient. Uh, and when COVID hit in March and the inpatient numbers just flew up and pretty much everything admitted was COVID. I mean, literally everything else kind of ran out of town. And the first case I had was a, a young doctor in his 30s. He was in great shape, a vegetarian. Uh, OBGYN, and, and he was the first case I had, and he was sick, and he and he ended up, you know, on high flow oxygen. Thank God, not the ventilator. But that that was the first case I took care of in the hospital in March, and we had no idea what we were doing with management. We had no experience with this virus. We had therapies that we were we were shotgunning and throwing at people, but we had no idea. And thank God he made it through. I think because he was so healthy. Um, but it hit home because I said, man, if this young doc and better shape than me, uh, you know, could get this sick, then, you know, I could get this sick. And, and that was sort of the, the opening to it and my, my first experience. And again, it was rewarding in the sense that he got better. But when I look back at it, we wouldn't have managed him the same way. It would have been done differently. So, and mo- most of our listeners, you know, as, as they, as they go through this, I think had the same experience, right? Like, you know, you heard about COVID, you heard about where things were and you heard about, the, the 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 scariness of it and i can even tell you myself and you know one of the things i did was 
you started trolling social media, started looking at, you know, every news outlet you could possibly get to. And, you know, Jeff, we've known each other for a long time. So the, 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 the one outlet that I came across, uh, came across during, you know, my fear of this pandemic, I just shut my office down. I just told everybody they had to work from home and I was scared and I came across the concerned doctor and there was you on the screen. And I don't think you realize this, but you kind of put ease in my mind, not because we knew everything there was to know about COVID, but because I knew someone like you was out there, someone like you was on the front line and someone like you was bringing to us what you were seeing firsthand on that front line. And, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, why you started the concerned doctor. And, you know, I, I know you're concerned about every patient that you see, but you, you brought that, that calmingness and that, that, that everyday understanding of, of where COVID was from someone who was seeing it on the front line. So one, I thank you for doing that because you made me feel a little bit better, but how did you come up with that? And how, you know, what, what was the, you know, the thought process behind, you know, going live on, on YouTube and going live on social media? Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, you know, acknowledging that and watching it. And I'm glad it helped, helped you. And I did get a lot of messages from others that it helped them too. And, you know, I, I always, I forget who the mentor was that I had who used the word concerned rather than worried. But I, but I remember, I remember that somewhere in my training a long time ago, I was on rounds and, and, you know, like you don't want to scare patients, right? So, so you want to use words and adjectives and stuff that, that, that you're concerned about them, but you're not necessarily worried about them. And even though I was more than worried about COVID-19 and how it was affecting us and society and the patients and practice and, and just everything, right? The economy, everything, we're, we're thinking about it. it. It was sort of a way for me to log what was going on. Uh, I realized early that, you know, this was probably not how it was going to be down the road. And I'd like to look back at it someday. You could see how low budget the first couple ones were for my living room on a phone you know like i think it was actually this <laughs> this laptop that i'm using now that's like five years old and you know my accountant reminds me to get a new laptop every three years or something like that but i don't and you know i just this dim room and it was like the battlefields and, and really early on it felt like that and i wanted to log it and i wanted to learn and i wanted to you know force myself to study and record it and get it out there to the public and not just the news networks that, you know, a lot of the public and for good reason, don't always trust everything coming out of TV and the press. It's, I wanted to give real world experiences. You know, we talk about real world data with medicine. Well, this was real world life experience and see how it would go. And, and, and not just, you know, using what they tell us in the protocols from, from government and, and one hospital, to the other, but trying to put it all together and then being able to get a little bit more savvy with the recordings and being able to share screens. I think I jumped to a zoom <laughs> format at one <laughs> point and, you know, wanted to show people like, these are the articles that I'm looking at and I may or may not use it. I may use it. I may take a little bit from, from this doc or a little bit from this experience or this hospital, but not, you know, in the art of medicine and, and, and play it through and, and, and record it and, and, and put people at ease that, you know, like if, if we can get through this, as frontliners, then, then everybody can get through this too. Um, and, and certainly, you know, there were people, we were high risk for exposure, but there were nurses and respiratory therapists that were living in those rooms for hours upon hours. And, you know, we were kind of, we were in the, you know, we were kind of lucky in the sense that we, we'd go in there and we'd be in there with these patients and we were nervous about it for sure. Um, but they must've been even more nervous because, you know, they spent hours in there with these patients day in and day out. Um, I even got, you know, a little break after about four months to go back to the office for a little bit and, and start seeing some of those patients, but it was tough. The, the, the vlog, so, so a concerned ad, you know, that word specifically came somewhere deep in my past and, and, and I'm a doctor. So, and, you know, I was concerned about everybody and, and wanted to get that out there. So that's how that came about. Yeah, it, it is, it is an awesome, uh, you know, show that you put on and I have, I have noticed the, uh, the, the production getting better and better over time. So it's kudos to so you. Well. That you uh... I have no production team. It's me and a laptop at a kitchen table. <laughs> it looks good. And the Thank last you, one, though. last one you incorporate, you even incorporated slides and everything. So it was the, the last one I saw was a couple of weeks ago and it was a, uh, 
it was definitely it was definitely changed from the first one where you could really see the concern on your face and you could see the you know how tired you were um you know and how yeah. I, I, and I know you were working, you know, seven days a week. And, you know, we've talked about that a little bit through our conversations that, you know, you're used to seeing, you know, rounds every couple weeks on the weekends and you were just working weekends straight um, for, for months at a time and, you know, saving these patients and really, you know, putting the dedication to, you know, medicine first and foremost um, above and, you know, your own family and, you know, and, and, I, I want to bring this up because I think it's really important for folks to understand that, you know, while you were saving lives, there was one life that, that, you know, I, I know you wish you could have saved and, you know, you, you, you lost your mom in this whole thing. Um, you know, and I know it's a sad thing to talk yeah. about. So, but it just shows that it's real. And, you know, if you want to talk about that a little bit, I know she was very important for it to you. And, you know, unfortunately COVID got her. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I've had time to grieve and heal. And, um, so I, I can talk about it with more ease now. Uh, but yeah, mom, you know, was in her seventies and, and, you know, certainly not an old, old, uh, person by today's standards. Uh, she did have some comorbidities that set her up. She, you know, lived with a boyfriend that she, you know, intended to marry at some point. And he was <laughs> 11 years, her senior uh, Ivy league guy. And, he caught COVID, you know, at the same time as her living together with her at this, this assisted living facility that they were at. Um, and she got admitted to my hospital and, you know, thank God my partners were there to, to help, you know, take care of her. They really took care of her primarily. And I, of course, couldn't resist. So I jump in and uh, I've been through that with my dad when he passed a pancreas mm -hmm. cancer, you know, a long time ago. So, you know, I, I, I know that it's not healthy, um, you know, to, to care for loved ones, but, it was COVID and, you know, she actually kind of, kind of beat the first portion of that and then got secondary sepsis and infections from bacteria that, you know, from the medicines that we, again, we had not mastered it. In fact, I remember it was, you know, May, June-ish when the, the British study got published and they taught us to, you know, okay, now you can use dexamethasone. We were told not to use steroids initially. And now, now this was the one drug that's going to save your life. And it was literally while she was admitted that came out and, um, we started using steroids on her, you know, maybe too late, maybe too little, maybe too, too much. Uh, and then she got staph and can't, you know, fungal infection. And that's really what, what took her life. Um, and eventually her significant other made it out of the hospital, but ended up on hospice, uh, post COVID, uh, with a negative test eventually. So it was, it was straining to say the least. Um, she was a long fight for her on the respirator, you know, through dialysis and, and everything else. And ultimately, uh, it did get her. And, you know, I talked about it before on a different uh, podcast, how, you know, I would use whatever I could of that experience to try and help others. And, and we didn't have the monoclonal antibodies um, at the time for just use in outpatients. Um, but eventually my stepmother <laughs> uh, got COVID and I was able to, you know, many, many, many months later use a monoclonal antibody. She was she was good in like 12 hours. So, you know, you know, what we learned and how we transitioned through the different um, uh, care uh, and the different medications and therapies and, um, you know, uh, what I feel now is like, you know, if she would be admitted today or if I had an early shot at her today, you know, would she survive? And I, I think the answer is a good possibility, you know, and so it was painful to deal with. It was painful to live through and be involved in that care. But I, I think I think I came out of it um, a better doctor and, 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 and can somehow, you know, use that energy and, and that experience to help others even more. So like every good mom, she, she continued to teach you and continued to be there for you so you could grow. Um, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a wonderful, you know, tribute to, you know, what she gave you. Um, the, the other thing during this, uh, you know, the pandemic and, you know, working such long hours, hard hours is you, you had to, you actually got sidelined, you know, you got put on the injured reserve where, you know, you detached your retina. So, I mean, I, and, yeah. and that, that had to be a huge, a huge, you know, one loss for the patients that you were seeing, but two, you know, knowing you, it was, it was probably very difficult to be sidelined like this in a, in a, in the big game, you know, and, and wanting to be in there, wanting to take care of people. So, you know, talk about that a little bit, talk about how, 
you know, you having, you know, a medical issue at that point in time, you know, affected yeah. how, how you kind of went out there. Yeah. I mean, totally. Uh, and you know, we've known each other, we're coming up on two decades now, man. Yeah. You know, I always like to make a joke. I always like to make a joke out of just about anything. Uh, cause it helps me <laughs> yeah. get through the tough times, but you know, um, there was nothing funny about it. If there was anything that I, you know, was more relating, you know, I, I had to prone myself for like two weeks, 45 minutes out of the hour. We were proning COVID patients and here I am with a detached retina, retina proning myself, you know, like unbelievable, um, irony there. Um, thank God not with COVID too, but you know, I was like thinking about it, you know, I'm going into the OR, I'm getting my first general anesthesia three hours at Will's Eye. What an amazing place, by the way, I got to plug them. They really took amazing care of me. And I would recommend, in fact, I have recommended about five people since then to Will's, uh, in Philly, uh, just an, just an amazing place. But yeah, I mean, I, I have a family history of retinal detachments. My sister had tears in both eyes, my brother, uh, same exact pattern as me. We were all about the same age and, you know, it was happening and vitreous hemorrhage and then, and then a detachment and having to go on the injured reserve, like you said, for a month and, and be out of it and, and, and still trying to, you know, with one eye, look at a text message and get back to my assistant and, you know, being prone. And it was just dreadful. And, and yeah, I'm sure the patient's they were so understanding. And I told my office, I said, just let the patients know. I, I, you know, I'm not bashful about it. I'd rather them know that I'm out uh, on medical leave. And if you want to tell them why, I don't care. It's fine. Um, and, and the support was, was overwhelming. E equal support, you know, when my mom passed is when I went through this retinal detachment experience in October through November. And uh, I'm back and, and thank God, uh, you know, the eye is saved and I, I just have to get a new prescription and tuned up. A little bit on that, but but overall, <laughs> you know, Will's <laughs> they saved me, and I should be out pitching at least three innings soon. You know, joking yeah. around, but I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Uh, you know, fighting COVID and, and and doing great from that standpoint. And and again, I thank Will's eye for that. But it was it was you know some irony there, and and some physical and mental pain, and 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 you know it humbled me even more. You know, the 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 life never never gives up humbling, and and now I know what it's like really firsthand to be a general anesthesia patient, a post-op patient, and, and in the system as a patient. And uh, I had, you know, excellent access and, and excellent doctors and, and providers. So I'm very fortunate, but, you know, still, you know, you get that, you get that, that feeling of going through the system. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue a little bit away from uh, away from COVID and kind of talk about our history a little bit because it'll get into some of the rare disease and some of the rare focus. And then I'll bring it back to, you know, what you took care, you know, what you took from that to to, you know, bring the care to COVID. Um, you know, so we, we mentioned we've known each other for a long time. And I remember the first time I walked into your office, I was uh, I was out with a uh, sales rep who worked with a product for uh, alpha one and a trypsin deficiency, a and, you know, our guests have heard me mention that before, but my family suffers from that. My dad passed away from it about, you know, 18 months ago to two years now. Um, and it's, so it's been, you know, really, really challenging, you know, for our whole family. All my aunts and uncles, unfortunately, passed away. But I remember walking up to your uh, your office and, you know, the, the, the rep saying, hey, this 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 guy is uh, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet Dr. Miskoff. And I kept saying, OK, you know, let's go. And we were walking up to your office and he's telling me this guy really cares for his patients. He's, he, he, he looks for alpha one all the time, you know, and this was, this was 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, there wasn't the awareness detection education around it at, back then. So when somebody said this doctor tests all the time, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. He tests like, you know, one patient every two years and he'll find somebody here or there. And, you know, we, we, upon meeting you, we, we, you and I connected over alpha one, but you know, I, I looked at the, the, the care that you were providing alpha one patients, but you know, talking with your nurses and talking with some of the other folks in the office, it wasn't just alpha one, it was all of your patients. Um, and, and I just see that that concerned doctor really is, is something special, but I want to focus on rare disease for a little bit. And, you know, as, as, you know, 20 years ago, when not many people were looking for things, you were testing every COPD patient for alpha one. So what, what makes you, what makes you tick in that, in that, in that capacity where you find this disorder that, that not a lot of people have, not a lot of people have heard of, and you, you, you know, take the bull by the horns and really look for it and really try to, you know, 
to, to find that, that root cause of what might be a genetic form of COPD or, you know, pulmonary fibrosis or cystic fibrosis or any of those type of things, uh, when you're, when you're going through this. So what, what are the, what are the reasons for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't even know if I know the answer. I, when you, when I think back at my training, <laughs> you know, I was in Manhattan for my pulmonary at Beth Israel and, and that was not an alpha one antitrypsin central place. It was a HIV Mecca at the time. Um, right. great Mark Rosen, uh, who passed, unfortunately, I got to plug my, my chief, uh, sudden, suddenly had a, a passing apparently. And it was just like, man, this guy taught us HIV medicine and we were, we were badass critical care docs. You know, we were, we were in the, the heat of the city and lots of volume and, and lots of PCP pneumonia for HIV back then. It wasn't even rare. That was the common for, for, for New York city. And so I didn't have an alpha one experience in my training, you know, and this only, this is 16, 17 years ago. It's actually nine when nine 11 happened is when I had just moved to New York city. And I, and I was trained really good in critical care and in HIV medicine and, and, and by some great, great docs and some great physiology of pulmonary medicine, but alpha one, not, you know, I had one young lady who was 24. I remember her first name was Lydia. She was, um, a single mom, Hispanic female, uh, out of, um, I want to say the Bronx and she was a crack cocaine smoker in her past. And she had Swiss cheese lungs with alpha one ZZ disease, you know, a fully deficient, severe alpha patient. Um, who, who had never knew she had that while she was, you know, living that lifestyle and then turned her life around 180 degrees. I mean, really, uh, got her, got her, you know, feet on the ground and, and was raising her four-year-old at the time. And she showed up at every, every outpatient, you know, clinic meeting with me. She was handed to me. I didn't find her. She was, she was an alpha one that was already diagnosed and she was passed off in clinic. And that was my one alpha. That was my big experience. And she was great. And Eventually, uh, uh, went on, I believe to get lung transplantation, but I lost her because I came to private practice in New Jersey. Um, I get to New Jersey and I'm a few weeks into outpatient medicine cause they had started me off in the hospital and I was there to really start a critical care, uh, train the, the, the residents early on. This is, you know, going back, um, to 2004 now we're talking. Um, and then I get put into the office and like, yeah, you're going to start seeing office patients now. You know, we, we, we let you do the critical care thing and now you're going to the office and, and, uh, this guy comes in and he's like, he's like, you know, your size, Don, he's this tall guy from Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, he worked there and he, um, he never <laughs> smoked. He never smoked. His name's Brian. He still sees me as a patient today. And I'm looking at him and, and, and we do a pulmonary function on him and he had some moderate lung disease. It looked like asthma. So I gave him an Advair inhaler and I said, you probably have asthma and why don't you come back in three months? And that's that. And, and I remember from my medical school days in Kansas City, uh, probably the smartest man I ever knew, Edward Robert Friedlander, a teacher there, taught us something called the doorknob sign. And when, when somebody's leaving and they're heading for the doorknob, always ask them before they go, is there anything else you want to tell me that you, you didn't tell me? And so I did it. You know, I'm a new doc in the pulmonary outpatient. And I looked up and I said, he was there with his wife. Is there anything else you want to tell me before you go? And they're like, no, no, everything's cool. We got the inhaler. And then the wife says, you know, his liver functions were off a little bit, you know, uh, a couple years ago. But they said it was nothing. I'm thinking to myself, obstructive lung disease. Now he, I'm thinking he didn't smoke. Wife's a smoker. Liver functions off. I yelled out to my assistant, Lorraine, at the time. Lorraine, do that alpha one level. If you notice, Donovan, I said level. It wasn't the test kit, even though the test kits were they were yeah. existing. I just I was so I was so dumb with Alpha with my one patient from New York City that I just said, I ah, do a level. Like, you know, and, and Donovan gets what I'm saying. I don't know if all the listeners are gonna understand that completely. Yeah. There's some inside uh history there. But at, at the bottom line is I yelled the test. Um and and a, and a week or so went by. And um it wasn't you that was there. There was another rep from another company that was given lunch. His yeah. name was Rocky. And I think you knew Rocky. Rocky. I remember Rocky. Yeah, I knew Rocky. I remember Rocky. And, and, yeah. and Lorraine, Lorraine comes walking back, the same assistant with the, with the level, which was next to zero. You know, we were looking at a ZZ, fully deficient. It was Brian who I had tested. It was my first one tested in the office, and I was off to the races. So it was luck. It was Friedlander. It was... Lydia from New York, it was somewhere in my mind, uh, the teaching of liver and lung together. Um, and it was that one for one hit, which is not supposed to happen. 
right? You're supposed to check two, 300 of these patients before you find that one rare. (laughs) And here I am nailing it on the first time with no clue. And yet I'm off to the races as an alpha one expert. And, And little did I know because it can and you and and all these great people in the in not only industry but in the advocacy side and it, you know it all came together and the next thing you know I'm lecturing with like the big shots in the country uh, in like <laughs> Alpha University down in Raleigh and I'm like what are they what are they asking me down here for I, I just got lucky and found one guy you know and then the next thing you know I had two and three and now over 150 in a clinic and I do sarcoid and I do that and my biggest flaw Donovan is I try and take on too much for for a private practice setup. Uh, you know, we're at a we're at a big hospital with a fellowship and a residency, and it's become a nice academic setting. Um, but you know, I came from the roots, really, uh, in private practice, and you know, I came over to this group, and and I, I do try and take on a lot. And if there's one thing one thing that's a, a little bit of a flaw, it's that it's that you know, sometimes it's hard to do it all. And but I, I do try and be you know very concerned for everybody. Yeah, that and and even talking with some of your patients, I really you know. I've had the privilege of, of, of meeting some of your patients and, you know, at Alpha One support groups. And I know my dad actually, from being a former AlphaNet coordinator, was actually assigned to some of your patients. And it was so nice to hear, you know, the wonderful things that you did. And it was also great for me to be able to, you know, having having the Jersey Shore roots and the, you know, the Philadelphia area roots, I was able, I'm able to, you know, recommend, you know, people to go see you at, at your, you know, your Alpha One Resource Center. And I think that's been the uh, the great thing of, for a lot of patients, they don't have to drive into the big cities. They can go see uh, Dr. Miskoff down at the shore and spend the rest of the day at the beach. And it's wonderful. You know, that's the, right. The, that's right. We give them recommendations. <laughs> we give them recommendations for food exactly. and shopping and everything else when they come in for their Alpha visit. <laughs> so, and they, and they love it. They love it because they get to see you and they, and they, and they don't have to, you know, and and they fully understand, you know, one of the things I think that, that you really do is you help them fully understand their, their disorder. Right. And, you know, I know in alpha one, you really explain it to them where, as you know, and I know most patients go to see their doctor, they get their diagnosis. They're just staring at you with eyes wide open and kind of nodding their head where you actually take the time to sit with them and to explain things to them. So when you, when you think about that, what's some advice you can give your, your colleagues or give folks who, who work with rare disease patients or any patient for that matter um, of, of things they can do to kind of slow down and, and really have the patient understand and why that's important? Yeah. Wow. I mean, so much to that question. If you, th- you know, it's like <laughs> there's good, there's bad, there's evil, there's great. You know, it's just like, I think people that, 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 drive themselves towards rare disorders, either have an experience in their past, a family connection, or they were lucky like me finding those early ones and then being inspired to just go on and keep testing and then, and then getting involved in it on a deeper level with these patients personally to some extent and doing fundraisers with them um, and just expanding yourself out um, to really be involved with them completely. Uh, so I think there's certain people that just drive themselves towards that environment. And then there's, you know, the speedy Gonzalez's that just want to, you know, get through it. And, and, and it's just a job for them. And I'm not talking about my partners. I'm just talking about it. They exist out there in the world, you know, just like in any field or anywhere, you know, it, it doesn't have to be medicine. And there's just people that just don't have an interest for it or they, you know, they're, they're just not, they just don't have that connection. And, and I don't know if I can teach, teach them to be that way. You know, that may be deeper, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, you try and, you try and teach the younger docs and clinicians and the nurse practitioners and the PAs and the nurses, and even my medical assistant, you know, I teach my medical assistant, we review the CAT scans together and, and building that from all levels, you know, not just the docs, but, uh, every single person that's involved in the care. And if you engage as many providers as you can from all different levels, I think you have the best shot of making that office more smart. Um, and more intrigued by it. And then you see the, the feedback from the patients. Wow, you know, we drove an hour and a half, but wow, was that worth it? And you didn't scare me, you know? And, and, and I think, you know, learning how to talk to the patients, uh, again, you can't always teach that, but if I have the opportunity to have a trainee in there with me, you know, um, uh, I, I may not know everything in medicine, that's for darn sure, but, I, you know, I think I'm pretty good at talking to people. And, and, and communication is probably the most important thing. And the knowledge will come, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and, and you just have to be honest with yourself and with the patients if you don't know something. And so so being honest and, and, and really spending that time, unfortunately, 
the system is not exactly built to spend an hour with each new consult for rare disorder or just a, a basic COPD or sleep apnea case we may see. And now COVID follow-ups, right? Long hauler COVIDs um, would have been a, considered a rare disorder a, a couple months ago, and now it's not. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, in its own right, COVID is a rare disorder. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, if you think about mm-hmm. it, but, but not really. Um, it just started off that way and rapidly became not one. So, but, but with Alpha One, I think, you know, because uh, we have a, a combined interest in that, um, you know, not scaring the, the dickens out of them and, and telling them that, you know, you were born with this, reassuring them that, you know, you had this diagnosis from birth and now it's just uncovered. So now we actually have some tools that we can help, you know, maybe send this in the right direction. And, and, and one thing I learned early on was never tell a patient, if you don't have to, the first visit, that you're putting them on a lifelong therapy. You can probably save that. I mean, they're going to ask, but, you know, uh, uh, most of them are going to ask. But, you know, what I tell them is, look, you know, nothing's a guarantee. And, and even though these therapies are designed to replace your level over your lifetime, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be on this exact therapy for your lifetime. And there may be innovations and there may be new therapies that come, which is a nice transition, you know, to talk about that type of stuff. But, right. um, um, you know, maybe you'll take a pill instead of an infusion weekly uh, or, or maybe there'll be a gene therapy. Uh, um, so so you, you may not be on this therapy because I just I just can't foresee the future. But this is the best thing for you now. And, and we can talk about, you know, how to infuse that maybe every two weeks instead of every week and, you know, find ways to make it more convenient for you possibly and, um, and, and, and hook you up with the absolute best, you know, nurse that'll come out and see you almost the same nurse every single week or two for those infusions. And, and that's usually what happens. Um, uh, or they end up at an infusion center, as you know, and, and it just depends on where you are and, and, and your access. But um, I think just that reassurance that the, there's a lot of support. I immediately hook them up with the founder, you know, AlphaNet, uh, try and hook them up with as many patients as I can. But to my, you know, back to your original question of colleagues and, and, and you know, it comes down to training and, and everybody's built different. But I do pride myself not only in taking care of the patients and taking my time with them, even though I may be at the office, you know, three hours past the next person. Um, it's worth it. Absolutely. So, so looking at the uh, time yeah, you, you've spent in medicine and, and, you know, I, I always think of the, uh, the generation that's under us, right? So, you know, my, I know you have a, you have a high schooler. Um, I have a, I have a couple of kids that are younger than high school. Uh-huh. What called you to medicine? What, what, what really inspired you to pursue medicine and what would you tell um, kind of the next generation of, of physicians um, as they felt, as they feel that calling as well? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd have to say, if I, if I had to give a one-word answer, I would say dad. Um, yeah. uh, you know, because my dad was a military doc. I was born at Fort Sam, you know, in San Antonio. He was an Army doc. Uh, he mm-hmm. passed, as I mentioned, over a decade ago now of, of pancreas cancer with no risk factors. We lost him. Uh, um, you know, the greatest man in the world. You know, just like your dad, Donovan. I mean, it was like everybody looked up to him, never fill his shoes, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, just another level of greatness, um, that, that, you know, I could only aspire to be half of and, you know, um, but you know, his passive sort of liberal way of not saying be a doctor, you know, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a professional. He, ha- he was never like that. And, you know, there's some pluses to, to that type of parenting, I guess. I know a lot of professional people, they got three, four brothers and sisters are all super surgeons and five homes and fancy cars and the whole lifestyle and the whole thing. And, <laughs> you know, maybe that's great for some, but my dad didn't play it that way. You know, he was the opposite. He was like, you know, you want to do something like that? You do it. You want to do something else? I mean, I think he would have been just as happier, even happier if I was playing at Lincoln Center right now, a violin, you know what I mean? So he was that type <laughs> yeah. of dude. He was a cool dude who, who loved music and the arts and, and was, was just great. And, um, and him not pushing it was the reason I think I did. I remember I was in uh, first or second grade or something and he came in, you know, to talk to the class, you know, and these kids are just looking up to him. And I, I just remember that. Like I, I have vivid memories of my childhood, good memories. And, and just, just, just remember him coming in maybe it was 20 or 30 kids in that class and the teacher being in awe and him just talking about, I don't even remember, but it was just, you know, these little things that added up so that, 
you know, when I got to that point of making a decision and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't a, a scholar at the young age, you know, I was a Jersey boy. We were running around Donovan <laughs> and, and, and I, I was a late bloomer and, and, and I could have gone the wrong way real fast and was heading there. And, you know, I remember him begging me like, just send one application into one college, please. You know, that's what I started with. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't heading that way. Uh, but, 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 you know, that, that persistent, uh, you know, passive attitude paid off, uh, because then I said to myself, well, shoot, I'm going to do something. I got to do something. What can I do that I really admired growing up and, and put me on a path that it's kind of hard to get off. You know, once you go on that path, um, you're on it. Uh, cause very few people, and I remember my dad telling me that, you know, there's very few people that go to medical school and drop out. It's just not as common as other schoolings. And, and it's true. And, and we lost a couple in my medical school, but not many. And, 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 you know, I wanted something that would, would not only, you know, bring out those feelings that I had positive towards my dad, I think subconsciously, a lot of that. Um, uh, and then later on consciously, uh, but what, what better than a, a pathway that I couldn't jump off and then you're helping people along the way on top of it. And that was really at the core of my soul. No, and, and I'm glad, and I know all the, I'm glad, and I know a lot of patients are glad that you, that you took that path. And, you know, it's, it, as you said before, it's, it's one of those things that you, you know, you aspire to do is, you know, and you, and you never can. And, you know, I, I know I can't, but it's try to fill your dad's shoes. Right. And I think you're, uh, I think your dad would be very proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished. And, and, and I'm sure he's looking down at you every day and smiling. So, I think that's just a you know wonderful thing, and I know I've talked to you before about why you've gotten into medicine. So I wanted our audience to really understand that, and I think that's the uh, the uh, the antithesis of of just you know being as special as you are. Um, so looking at Thank looking you. at medicine and looking at you know where things are right now um, from a pandemic standpoint, and then also from a just overall you know, innovation standpoint in medicine and in treatments, what do you see as like the greatest strengths that we have as a, as a, you know, as a society of, as a medical society for, you know, the future of medicine? Well, technology, I think, you know, I mean, just who would have thought I'd be doing 30% of my outpatient visits via zoom, you know, or, or a duo or, you know, one of these platforms that, the federal government sort of opened up to us almost immediately. The laws and telemedicine sort of progressed real fast when COVID hit because it had to. And I think back at it, I'm like, man, I bring my kid to a pediatrician. They'd have the well side and the, and the sick side. <laughs> and then yeah. you got the, the toys that the one kid from the sick side just ran over to the well side and is playing with it. And <laughs> now the kid looking at, you know, licking his hands and, and you're sitting in there and these kids are coughing and you're going, am I making it out of here alive? I mean, you know, am I yeah. going to be around in a week after sitting in this room for 35 minutes? So like, what were we doing? You know, was this an eye opener or what? You know, so, so, you know, look, I, I, I have mixed views about strapping masks around my face 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, is there some health risk to that and all that? But I think we're going to be wearing these things for, you know, masks at least and, and isolating people as much as we can from waiting rooms and, and areas that they don't, especially if they're sick or immunocompromised, right? You know, it's like, you know, right. especially, you know, think about if you're an oncology office and you've got, you know, cancer patients sitting in there on chemotherapy and then, you know, it's just, it just made, it makes, when you look back at it, it's kind of ridiculous that we would pack waiting rooms with sick people. Um, and, and I, I think that that's, it's been an eye opener. I mean, obviously the vaccines are flying. I'm double vaccinated already well over a month. Um, uh, I do believe they work, uh, uh very well. Um, so I think, you know, there'll always be people that don't get vaccinated. This will be a seasonal variant uh, for a while, kind of like flu, I think. I, you know, I'm only guessing, but it's, it's, it's until every single person is vaccinated, which is never going to happen, this thing could pop back up every fall for a little bit. And then until there's therapeutics like we have for flu, you know, we have Zofluza and Tamiflu and these these therapies that work really well. Um, you know, if you're, if you're treated early, uh, we kind of have that happening with COVID a little bit, but it's not, it's not mastered like flu. Um, so once we have therapeutics or you can just say, okay, here's a diagnosis, here's a, a pill and, and you're going to be better in five days for the most part, which is kind of what we see with those agents with the flu for most patients. Um, I think we're going to all be very cautious. Um, or at least there's going to be guidelines to be cautious and there'll always be people that don't believe it and don't want to wear it and try and make trouble and all this other stuff. But, 
uh, ultimately, uh, I think this put a big scare and, and even to people that, that weren't buying into it, that eventually some of them caught COVID and maybe got a little eye opener. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts, but, but I think for a long time, we're going to be utilizing telemedicine. It's going to continue to advance. Technology continues to advance, um, you know, uh, tools for uh, examining patients from afar, you know, virtually, uh, you know, stethoscopes coming out of the, 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 the phone or the computer and all this other stuff that that's all happening now. And, and I think that uh, if there's some good that came out of it, it was it would be that, you know, I can see an alpha patient right now from from 40 states over, <laughs> you know, and, right. and give them my opinion. And that would never have happened, at least in my small private practice. Uh, maybe I get a two hour driver, you know, coming in from two hours out, but not not 20 hours out. So, so there's, there's innovations in technology and safety precautions and HEPA filters and how we do our PFTs and, and all this stuff. And of course, the vaccination story, which is happening rapidly now. So, and in terms of that, um, what do you see as our biggest challenges, right? So with, with innovation and with technology, we see a lot of wins, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot of challenges and obstacles that we still have to overcome for, you know, some of the... You know, when I say rare and orphan disorders, I'd say anything that's 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 kind of cutting edge or innovative. So, what are some of the biggest challenges or obstacles that we uh, that we still will face? Well, we always will face insurance companies, right? So that's the easy one. Um, although I'm no expert on insurance, I'm a clinician. You know, I, right. I I yell at my assistant Mo. I say Mo, you know, get that <laughs> referral in and track them down, and you know, tell me when I got to get on the phone and, and threaten somebody. But <laughs> I'm joking to some extent, but that's kind of how it happens in, in my world. And um, and so it's always going to be the insurance company. The you know the alpha patients and the other rare ones seem to be a little bit more on edge with COVID and a little bit more nervous about catching it, obviously, because a lot of them are quite ill and for good reason that they'd want to take these these super precautions. Um, uh, a lot of them, you know, had vaccine questions and concerns about side effects of the vaccines and, and you know, how could they get it and should they get it? And we're getting, you know, lots of emails and questions about that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, access for a lot of people is still a problem in this world, in this country. And, and there's a lot of rare disordered patients and alphas that, that initially, um, well, first of all, they're, they're not diagnosed right off the bat. That's one challenge, which we've, we've talked about uh, in the past many right. times, me and you. And um, so besides the, the, you know, the challenges of training docs and clinicians to, to look for these things and to, and, to, and to buy into it, it's access for all. And how, how does somebody who's underserved get access? And, you know, um, uh, again, technology like, like video and virtual may, may help some of these, these patients get access. Um, and you know, uh, I think those are the big ones and those will always persist. Um, I, I don't know if there's too much more that I can think of in regards to that. Um, but access and, and insurance seem to be the biggest challenges. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that, you know, we're going to have to see some changes, especially as we see, you know, gene therapy and things like that coming aboard. It's going to, you know, there's, there's definitely a challenge with access and affordability. And that's one of the things that I think, we uh we as a society need to uh, to really look at and and see what kind of changes we can make. Yeah, and I think that you know the pharma that deals with alpha at least that I've dealt with have, have been amazingly supportive. Um, we've worked with a lot of those guys and gals, and and you know we know they're great people, and they 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 most of them stay in those those careers for a long long time because they really have bought into an amazing field that they can help uh, even from the sales side, as you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just admire them and I think the, the pharma, at least in alpha one is special, uh, and you know, a little bit different. They're obviously specialized in plasma type therapies, these companies for the most part, of course, some bigger companies that have a lot of other interest as well, but they've donated their money and their time and, and support, uh, a lot of them have and, and lots of it. And, We've been involved in fundraisers. I know I've been involved in at least two or three of them. Yep. And those those companies always show up and they always they always send their their people and their reps and 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 not in just, you know, a couple handfuls, you know, in hundreds. Um so so it's really quite amazing to see an industry that um supports it so much and engages the patients so much, uh, uh where they all interact together, but in an ethical way, right? Where it's not pushing brand it's pushing it's 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 pushing care and 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 that's really what i've seen and it's pretty remarkable 
Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think that 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 patient first mindset really has to be, you know, first and foremost with with those folks. And I, I do believe that the, you know, certain industries and Alpha One being one of them is really uh, proven to have that. And, you know, we see that and, you know, I, I hope other uh, other pharma companies kind of take on that 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 demeanor. And I know, you know, the patient first mindset is something that you always have. And I know I always have. So I think as as we uh, as we look to the challenges um, come across as as being patient first and all else will uh, everything else will work itself out if, if you really hold that patient, you know, at the center of the of that care paradigm. So totally. One of the things that we look at, one of the theme we the theme we chose for for our season two podcast, which which we're in right now, is onward. Right. So, if you had to if you had to look at at that or describe that word or or look at what you feel um, is is for you, how would you look at this this next year, this next you know few months as moving onward? Yeah. Wow. I mean. I could probably talk about that for for a really long time, um, and, and, and I think we've I, I think we've said a lot of it. Um, uh, you know, just staying staying healthy and, and everybody staying together. And, and you know, I was involved. You know, in nine eleven when I was there, I had just moved to New York City, and what a microcosm that was compared to this bigger picture of COVID nineteen. But some similarities, and you know, you can draw you know, analogies and similarities uh, between these other events that we've all been through or, you know, everybody has different events and experiences they've been through, but where we all kind of bonded together in that little microcosm called Manhattan, New York, uh, when 9-11 happened. And I, I had just moved there with my wife. We didn't have Ben yet. And um, towers went down, you know, a couple months after moving there. Well, the towers went down again, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, tower number 19, <laughs> you know, COVID-19. Yeah. And, and, and went down on the on the whole world at once so it was like this massive uh 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 what's what's the right word just you know experience for everybody and not just a smaller society i think you know everybody felt 9-11 outside of new york city too but it wasn't the same as living there and feeling it and everybody kind of felt it around the world almost equally um with this one so i i think i think we just we have to be careful we have to we have to keep studying. We have to keep learning. We have to find new therapeutics. We have to stay safe. We have to, you know, help each other. And 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 on my days off, I, I you know, I, I don't remember doing this as much before COVID, but I'm I'm seeing those those COVID patients on my day off, even via the web, like just to get them in the shoot. So we got to go that extra mile. And and uh, you know, I've tried to do that my whole career with my patients, as you you know started off the this with, but, um, you know, we got, we got to just stick together and we have to support each other every single way we can. The next couple months, uh, are, are going to be easier. I think, you know, I, I think we're seeing a break. I think we're seeing, I know we're seeing admissions go down, but you know, I'm still doing three, four, five COVID consults a day at the hospital in, in a busy Jersey hospital right now, but it's not 30. So we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and, um, I, I do think over the next couple of months, we'll see a continued improvement and reduction in COVID admissions. And we're seeing those patients that were scared to come out to the hospitals and get their elective procedures come out. Um, and, and some of them suffered some strokes and heart attacks at home, scared to come to the doctors. Um, and, and we're seeing some of them come in now. Um, uh, and, and so it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I was joking around with a patient the other day at, at Jersey Shore and I, and I said, you know, thank you. Thank you. You know, it was like, I was like thanking them for, for, for coming in and, and, and being here as a non COVID admission. Like I'm so happy to see something else to help. Uh, uh, we've gotten really good at COVID the best we can, but like, where, where were the rest of you guys? And now you're here and now you're showing up. And uh, I was just like thankful to be able to see something else also besides COVID. Uh, I know it sounds a little yeah. weird, but, but it's true. Um, and, and I'm just being honest, you know, I just, uh, you know, we, we've like, where did our patients go? I, I, you know, fortunately I, Donovan, I didn't see alphas admitted. I had like one or two admitted a lot of them, not even at my system because they were, they were coming in from further parts. But luckily I, I, I wasn't aware of, you know, a single COVID death of my alphas at least that, that happened. Um, so that's good. Um, but, but I do see a light at the end of the tunnel and a, and a, and a you know, we're now, I thought was interesting is the Johnson and Johnson vaccine 
uh, is being provided to hospitals for non-COVID admissions being discharged, they can get the J&J one shot and done on the way out. So that's something that's happening over the next that's, two to three months. Yeah. Uh, so that you're hitting those people that's with one shot. <laughs> yeah. And not, and not, and not having to worry about the follow up till next year. So, so things like that are happening and innovations are happening as, as, as that rolls out. Um, but we got to stick together. You know, we, we have to keep our eye on the ball, which is, you know, this, this getting out of here, or at least getting contained to a point where we can get back to living and, and seeing all the patients and, and, and people not being scared to come out to their docs. Um, uh, uh, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, before we wrap up, I, I want to, you know, give a, give our listeners a chance to, to, to learn more about, about you. Um, is there anywhere they can go to, you know, learn more about the great Jeffrey Miskoff? <laughs> well, thank you, Donovan. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I pretty much don't turn anybody down. I've, I've moved two patients to, I've moved two patients, two COVID patients that <laughs> that have been on ventilators for two to four weeks down to our hospital. For, you know, friends and families. You know, we just we just keep going. And um, shorepulmonary.com, uh, uh, S-H-O-R-E pulmonary, uh, P-U-L-M-O-N-A-R-Y. Shorepulmonary.com is is one way to get me. A concerned doctor is the vlogs that I just started. I did one the other day, as you probably know. I I took yep. a break after the retina deal. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want to strain my eyes. Uh, I, I just wanted to take it easy and focus on my own health and getting better. So that's why I, I, I disappeared for those few, three or four months or whatever it was. Um, but a concerned doctor on, on the YouTube videos, um, uh, totally a nonprofit at this point. And, uh, it's just for education. And I, I you know, people write me a lot of messages on there and I, I can't get to them all, unfortunately, just too busy, but, um, uh, shorepulmonary.com and a concerned doctor are a couple ways that they can find me. All right. So I just want to thank you so much time, for spending the time with us on, on this episode of Rare Voices and, and know when we, uh, when this whole COVID breaks and we can really get to traveling and I'm coming. So get the, get the guest room ready. I'm staying down the shore. Oh, well, my 50th is coming up, coming up. I was thinking right. Vegas, August. Right. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the uh, next well, time we get together <laughs> you know maybe it is man and I'll, and I'll send you the invite i mean it's right. it's uh you're you, you know when i when i talk with you donovan it's like talking to my brother and and it's it, it it feels like family it feels natural and everything that you're doing man is so i admire as well and and i just you know thank you for your work and and thanks for getting the word out there man no problem thank you you're welcome You've been listening to Rare Voices, brought to you by the people of OptimiCare. If you want to hear more Rare Voices, go to rare-voices.com. There you can learn about our shows, read articles from industry thought leaders, and fill out a form to be a guest on Rare Voices. Again, that's rare-voices.com. I'm Donovan Quill, co-founder of OptimiCare. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to listen for more Rare Voices all around you, each and every day.